Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you are listening to All Ball. And uh, we have, we got a great story for you. Anthony Ianni joins us um, in, in mere moments. Former Michigan State Spartan Dog walk-on. Big man out of uh, a town very close, very close to East Lansing. And he has a unique tale. He's the first Division One athlete to come out and say, I'm, I'm autistic. Uh, but you'll be blown away by uh, by the way in which he tells his story is a new book coming up and we'll 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 basically tell some of his story and and maybe ask some of his opinions on if you're coaching a kid who's on the spectrum how should you do it if you're trying to help kids on your team understand how to approach a kid who's on the spectrum how should you do it we'll get to that upcoming in a moment i i, I do want to talk about ben simmons who's requested a trade from the Philadelphia 76ers. Matter of fact, he's no longer requesting. Now he's demanding. I'm not showing up at camp. Trade me right blanking now. And puts Daryl Morey in a tough spot. And obviously he's been trying to deal him, but he's been unable to recruit the package he thinks that Ben Simmons is worth. And it's always funny to me on how a guy wants to be traded and yet goes out and makes this public and says, I'll never play for the Sixers ever again which, of course, hurts his trade value, which lessens the likelihood of being traded in general, but also being traded to the team you want to be traded to. I like Ben Simmons, but I'm going to say this because I believe it to be true. I don't think he's a winner. And it's not because he didn't win at LSU, but it does play a little bit of factor. It's not because he hasn't won at all in Philadelphia, but it plays a little bit of a factor. Um, I think his talent could have helped Team Australia. You know, it, it, it could have helped Australia in the Olympics, but he, he wanted to go to Wimbledon with his girlfriend instead of working on his game and helping his home country um, try and get a gold medal. But he wouldn't do it. I don't think, it's not that he's not a marvelously talented player. But there are things you have to do. There are sacrifices you have to make if you want to be a championship caliber player at any level. And at the NBA level, no matter how good he is at everything else he does, if he doesn't fix the shooting, because even now when he fixes the shooting, it's when do you shoot? It makes you really hard to coach when you're switching teams. I think they'll get a lot for him. I believe he'll be traded. 
but I think he hurt his trade value and it's really hard to control the destination when you're limiting your options because they're going to want so much and only the bad teams have that much to give. All right, let's get to Anthony Ioni. A, a lot to his story, which is fascinating. Of course, graduated Michigan State, now a motivational speaker. Here's my talk with the first ever college basketball, Division One college basketball player, to say I'm autistic. Um, okay, so I, I want you to be able to tell your, your story, but let, let's start. Where'd, where'd you go? So I grew up in uh, Oakland, Michigan, which is right next to, Mich- uh, to Michigan State. Okay, so Oakland is like, um, that's where they have Oakland University, right? And so, so, so Okemos, Michigan is right next to East Lansing, and then Oakland University is in Rochester Hills. Okay, Okemos, is that yeah, Okemos? Okemos, yeah. So, I mean, is it a butt Lansing and East Lansing, or is there like ten miles in between? Like when you say it's right there, give me a. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not from Michigan. So, so my high school is literally like five miles from campus. So it's really not that far. Okay, so you grow up. What what's your when's your first engagement with basketball? When did you start hooping? So I started uh, playing competitive ball when I was seven years old. Um, but I was around, you know, my father, Greg, who worked in NCAA athletics for a long time. He was at Virginia for a few years and then at Ohio University for eight, then at Michigan State for 26. So I was around all, all kinds of athletes and athletics when I was a younger kid. But like when basketball really didn't come into play for me until I was about seven years old. And of course, at that age, you know, I was like everybody else. I was watching Michael Jordan when WGN was on cable at the time because we got that in, in mid Michigan at the time. And so just watching Michael and the Chicago Bulls in those mid 90s, like is what really kind of set the tone for me at, at such a young age. Uh, were you always bigger than everybody? Were you labeled? Oh, yeah, I, w- I was bigger than everybody. I mean, you know, when I was 11 years old going in the sixth grade, I was six feet tall and I wore a size 13 shoe. And so, yeah, so, so when I was a fifth grader, I was around 5'10", 5'11". So I was, I was a pretty big kid. I've been a big kid. You know, I was a big kid throughout my whole life. When were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder, also known as PDD NOS when I was four. So that was in 1993. And what's really unique about that is nobody really knew what autism was in the mid nineties. You know, there was no resources for it. There was no path. And that was also a time period where that was the more the ADD, ADHD era for, for a diagnosis. Right, right. Just put them get put them on Ritalin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kids are kids are hyper. That, that's right. what it was. Hyper. Right, Ex- exactly. And, and like, you know, that's when my mom, you know, first asked the doctor when they found out, you know, when I was diagnosed with autism was, okay, so we're going to put them on Ritalin, right? And the doctors were like, you know, I could subscribe all the Ritalin you want, but it's not going to make a difference. And so... But yeah, I mean, you know, usually in that time period, you know, Ritalin was usually the one thing that was suggested, you know, whenever there were kids who had ADD at that time, at that age, or even on uh, the autism spectrum at that time. So how did your parents know to get you diagnosed and then, and, 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 and understand that there was something that wasn't ADD, it wasn't hyperactivity? So if my mom, so say my mom gave me a direction, you know, if she had told me to go pick up the toys and put the toys away in the toy room. So instead of putting the toys away, I do the complete opposite and I would get more toys out. She had told me to go into my room and go pick out a red shirt. I would come out with like a green or a blue shirt instead. So she kind of noticed that something was really off. And she also noticed how, you know, when we went to Ohio University football and basketball games, she kind of noticed how, you know, just the crowd noises and the lights and the buzz on the scoreboard, which would make me kind of freak out, have wig out moments. And she kind of realized that, you know, that just wasn't, you know, something just didn't look right. So initially she took me to get diagnosed the first time and the doctor came back and said it was ADD. But my mom, who had coached volleyball at Ohio University at the time, she was the head coach there. You know, she said to the doctor, no, I know what ADD is. Like I have volleyball players on my team who, you know, who have ADD. Like I know what that is and it's not, it's not it. And so they took me to Children's Hospital in Columbus. And then, um, and that's where the diagnosis uh, came uh, came into play. Oh, were you in some sort of alternate education? So I was, I, I was mainstream classroom my, my entire, you know, years in K through 12. But when I was in kindergarten through fifth grade, I had a parapro with me um, in, in all my classes. I had speech therapists twice a week, um, you know, so and then um, middle school to high school, I had a resource room. So I was always mainstream, but I still had those extra resources and accommodations to help me be successful in the classroom. Um, okay, so did did anybody else like. I, I, it was a little, 
I mean, obviously now it's less taboo, but I can't mm-hmm. imagine mid nineties. Did anybody know outside of your teachers? Did kids know your diagnosis? Did anybody say, did they call you names? Like how were you treated when you're in elementary school, junior high school, high school? So nobody, so elementary school no, and middle school, nobody really knew about my autism diagnosis outside of the Okemos, the Okemos public school administration, my teachers and principal. Um, you know, the, so how I was treated, like I was really bullied a lot as a kid. I was really taken advantage of, um, you know, when I was in first grade, I had a fifth grader who would stick up for me all the time on the playground. He always called me his little brother. I called him big brother, but he actually, so my sister and I went to elementary school together for a couple of years. And so, but he was in my sister's grade and he kind of had an idea that, you know, if, if you tell Anthony to do something or say something, he'll do it. Cause he's tricked really easily into doing it. And that's what happened. And then one day during the wintertime, like him and his buddies came out, came out on the playground, took me over to the jungle gym, the monkey bars and say, hey, hey, Anthony, you need to try this. You know, we were sticking on our we were sticking our tongues on the pole earlier. It was really cool. And it felt really cool. And so and they tricked me into doing that. And then after that, I became the, the, the victim of their bullying and teasing for a while. And so just I, I was taken advantage of by a lot of people. And, you know, because of how I would have wig out moments sometimes in the classroom or in the hallways, just moments I could not control at a younger age. You know, I can control them now. And that's when basketball kind of really helped me out a lot because, you know, if I was playing those kids in little league, they had to guard me and I ended up taking advantage of that, you know, and dropping 20 or 25 points on them in a game. But high school, you know, my freshman year, I got disrespected a lot because a lot of people were doubting me and didn't think I could achieve or accomplish anything in athletics or let alone basketball. But it was going into my sophomore year of high school after uh, a full summer of AAU, there were some rankings that came out on michiganpreps.com and they had ranked me the number one center in my, in my class, which was the class of 2007 in my state. And so when word of mouth kind of got out that I was number one center in the class of 2007 for that, for that summer, you know, I go to school, first day of school, and the people who were disrespecting me and doubting me the first day of school my freshman year, it was complete you know, 180 after that, you know, I started, I earned their respect, you know, they were talking to me about it. And so, but I knew after that, like the work wasn't done because I had more things I wanted to achieve and accomplish because, you know, when I was five years old, I had a group of doctors and professionals who told my family that because I have autism, I wasn't going to achieve or be successful or do much in life. They actually told my family that I would barely graduate from high school, never go to college, never be an athlete and likely end up in a group institution with other individuals like myself for the rest of my life. And, you know, that, that my parents told me that story going into my freshman year of high school. So, you know, at the same time I had, I had, I had an agenda and that agenda was to shut everybody up who doubted me and disrespected me and to go on and prove people wrong and show people that I can do things in life despite having autism. Did that come from your parents? That just come from internally? Like, where does that come from? I think it just came internally because, you know, my, my dad, you know, the one thing my father has always taught me in my life is the harder you work, the more you earn and you block out the noise and just focus on what you got to do. And my mom is, you know, she's been a volleyball coach. She has always been the one to not only encourage me, but, you know, she's also had to make a lot of sacrifices to help me be successful too at, at a younger age. And I mean, my mom went a whole year of not working. So if she could just help support me and make sure that I got the services and the accommodations I needed to have in school. Yeah, she she. Um, so so like we're having a conversation. I, I there's no you're no different than me. Right. We're yeah. Right. Like, so I don't like how did how did how do you go from your diagnosis at four years old to the man you are today? I like what is, right. it, is it simply therapy? Is it therapy medication? Is it like, um, I, you know, like in full disclosure, one of my kids is, uh, uh, has, uh, what do you call it when he, it's really, she struggles with executive function, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Just cannot organize herself. She just can't do it. And then she has, um, I would say mild to severe anxiety, some social mm-hmm. anxieties, fears as well. And so it's constantly a process of some of its medication, but also therapy. But boy, it's, it's really hard as a parent. Your process when you're in middle, in high school, medication, therapy, ed, ed therapy, what, what was it? So not medication, not, not, not medication. I didn't take any, med, med, any type of medication when I was a kid. But I think a lot of it just has to do with my parents and my teachers, because, you know, when I was 
you know, diagnosed. And then that meeting happened when I was five, you know, my parents had, you know, they had the expectations always stayed high because my dad told those doctors in that meeting, like, you know, he is going to graduate from high school. He is going to go to college and graduate. And, you know, we're going to find a way to do this. And after that meeting, my mom and dad just looked at each other like, okay, how are we going to do this? There is Sandy McDonald, um, who was the assistant director for special education in Okemos. She was in on that meeting and she stayed with my parents afterwards. And she looked at them and said, you know, you're right. You know, we are going to find a way. And so, so everything that my parents did, you know, everything that my principal did, my teachers did, everything that was put in my IEP, my individualized education plan were ways to help me, you know, kind of get used to certain things. So one of the things my mom always had with me as a younger kid was I had to be on a strict set schedule. And so, so, so as I got older, I learned that everything was not always going to be on a set schedule, that things were going to change and happen because one of my big, biggest weaknesses growing up, Doug, was, um, you know, if, if, if something were to change, like, so for example, and obviously we'll talk about Michigan state in a little bit, but so when I first got to Michigan state, after I transferred from Grand Valley state, you know, if my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, if we were going to go to the movies at eight o'clock at night and, you know, we're getting ready to go, but then we get a text from coaches or the assistant coaches saying, Hey, we got film at eight o'clock tonight. I would just kind of lose my mind because, you know, I would say to my, my girlfriend, I'd be, I'd be like, okay, we were supposed to go to the movies at eight o'clock and it would just really bother me. And she was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. Just go do film and come back. But if that was the five-year-old Anthony Ianni, it would have been twice as worse. I would have been throwing things. I would have been waking out because, you know, I had to be on a set schedule, but because of my parents, because of everything they did for me, everything from communicating with my teachers to making sure everything in my IEP plan was strict to the T, making sure my teachers followed it. I think that's what helped made me successful. And, you know, as far as like the basketball piece, like I could, I couldn't, I barely went to Michigan state football and basketball games as a younger kid because the, the, the stimulation of the lights, the sounds, the crowd, and like, I would put my head in my mom's lap because it was just too much for me. And I'm just kid, like having a wig out moment, what is going on? And so, but then when I got older and once I started to learn, you know, counting from zero to 20 and then 20 back to zero, I would watch the scoreboard clock. And then as it was counting down from five to zero, five, four, three, two, I would put my hands over my ears, clock goes off. And then what I did, Doug, was I would slowly take my hands off my ears so I can kind of get used to like the sound. If it was too much, I put my hands back on my ears. Same thing with crowd noises. The crowd went nuts, hands over my ears, and I would slowly take them off. So I did that every game. And so there were just little, I guess you can call them little things, but to some people, maybe a big deal. But like, it was just the little things that I did to help me kind of overcome, you know, I guess my fear of loud noises and just the stimulations of crowd noises in arenas. But that was also a big testament to my teachers and my family because they taught me that. They taught me to find the little things to help me kind of overcome the big things, if you will. It's amazing. It's amazing. My daughter has that where she just she can't do the crowd. She can't do the noises. And it's 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 um, it's just you have to it's a different way of, uh, you know, her. She's so she gets so hyper stimulated, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, smells, tastes. Uh, it's just it's different than what I experience. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday... I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so... The number one center in the state of Michigan as a sophomore. Um, But you went to Grand Valley State. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? There were people. What did did coaches know about the autism? And so they stayed away and recruited you. Why? Why were you that good, that big, that strong? And that you had to be had to be skilled. And why go to that level? So throughout my recruiting process, like I was recruited by a lot of teams, um, you know, obviously Michigan State recruited me throughout my whole career. They didn't have a scholarship to give me. So offered me a preferred walk on spot. Um, Oakland University was the first school to actually offer me. And um, but I had interest from um, Anna Purdue, Fort Wayne, Valpo, um, Wisconsin, um, Eastern, Western, Central Michigan. So a lot of the max schools at that time. And so um, and, a, and a few more Big Ten schools. But, you know, the more and more I realized that you got to perform at a higher level, which I'm not saying I didn't, you know, I did. Um, and we had really good teams, you know, my junior year, we went to the state championship game. Um, we lost in double overtime, uh, by one, uh, Saginaw, Arthur Hill. That's who beat us. And who's the best, who's your best player? Uh, a guy by the name of dark Tucker who went to DePaul. Yeah. So, so that to this day, it's still considered one of the greatest Class A state championship games in state history, and we're all we were all proud to be a part of that. Wish wish it would have been a, a gold medal hanging around my neck instead of silver. But um, you know, in that game, I put up twenty three and nine, and then you know, I figure, okay, my recruiting is going to shoot through the roof now. But obviously, a few things in AAU happened. You know, playing for the Michigan Mustangs that just didn't work out for me, so I had to go to another team, which worked out pretty well. Um, and that's where. Uh, the AFE Wizards uh, out of Dearborn. Uh, AFE stands for Athletes for Education. So, so you weren't. So what? You weren't getting the ball. You weren't getting minutes. They were all going one on one. They went throw it inside. You know, I, I, I wasn't getting minutes because you know we were the so the guy who organized the team put me, put me and the top you know top center and top power forward all on the same team, and he was going to try and start us all at the same time. But I don't know how we were all going to be on the floor at the same time because two, six, nine guys and a six, eight forward. Like, I don't know how you were going to do that. So, so I wasn't getting a lot of playing time going to my last year with the Mustangs. And so I was like, you know what, if I'm going to find a place to play in college, I got to go somewhere where I'm going to. And so 
you know, next tournament in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, I'm starting for AFE Wizards. And that's where Grand Valley State really noticed me after that. Um, but the one thing I noticed was there were a lot of schools who kind of found out about on me a little bit. And I think a lot of it, Doug, had to do with the fact, again, we talk about resources. Like I, a lot of the schools that recruited me, I don't think they had a lot of resources for individuals with disabilities or autism at that time. And I think that's why they kind of, you know, went away from recruiting me, which, you know, I get that. I understand that recruiting is a business too. Um, I thought about going to Oakland university because our star point guard had committed there in the spring. And so there was really a lot of thoughts about me following him because he and I worked so well together on the court. We were, I mean, great friends off the court too. And then Oakland pulled my scholarship and gave it back and gave it to another kid out of Wisconsin. And he committed right on the spot. And so my choices were either Grand Valley State, uh, one of the top Division II programs in the country at the time, or Michigan State. And I, I didn't know what to do. And because Michigan State, Doug, was always my dream school from day one. And I, I told Tom Izzo at eight years old after a, um, after a game, I said to him when I, when I first met him, I said, I'm going to play for you at Michigan State. And, of course, I'm sure Coach at that time was probably like, oh, this is, this is cute. An, eight, an eight-year-old kid telling me he wants to play for me, me at Michigan State. Nobody at that time really thought that was gonna that dream was gonna be become a reality. Um, so I've known Coach Izzo for a long time, but I wanted to get his input on what I should do because it's either go to school on a full ride scholarship where everything's taken care of, your family doesn't do anything, or you go to your dream school and you try to earn a scholarship, but the op, but the but the odds of that happening as a preferred walk on are not always gonna be in your favor. So he and I had a meeting for about an hour. You know, going into my senior year of high school, I said, okay. I'm, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Cause I love Michigan state. I want to be here, but it's a full ride. What should I do? And he was straight up with me. He said, look, I'll be honest with you. Like I don't have scholarships to give. Like there's a reason why we offered you a preferred walk-on spot. Like you're good enough to play here, but you know, I don't have scholarships to give, but whereas you have a full ride offer on the top universities in the state of Michigan. So not only will you have a chance to play at one of the top D2 programs in the country, but you're going to get a great education in the process. So if you don't take a full, that full right offer, like I'm going to treat you like one of my players in this office tonight and I'm going to yell at you right now. And so, but the last thing he said to me, Doug, he said, but just know that if things don't work out at Grand Valley state, just know you have a locker and a Jersey here waiting for you if you ever want it. So even though that, even though I was at Grand Valley state, like, that offer was always on the table. And I, and to this day, like, I'm so grateful for that, but for, for, for Tom Izzo to flat out be honest with me and say, Hey, take the full ride. It'll change everything. And I listened to him. Like he wasn't my coach at the time. I mean, this is a guy who I wanted to play for, but you know, the fact that he encouraged me to take the full ride, you know, told me that not only how much like that conversation like meant to me, but it showed like how much he cared as a person as well. What was Grand Valley state like? I tell people out of the five years I had in college, it was those were two of the best years I've I had in college because, you know, I, I hold a special place in my heart for Allendale, Michigan and Grand Valley State University for a reason, because I met so many great people there um, from school administrators, staff and faculty to, you know, the other athletes, you know, on sports teams on campus and everything was right there, Doug, like literally like if I had if I had class at 830 in the morning, like my dorm room could be like a five minute walk to class. And that's what I loved about so much was everything was right there. If you wanted to go off campus and talk to, and meet up with people, it was literally like a mile walk from where you would live on campus. And so, I mean, everybody was just so supportive of each other. Everybody loved being a Laker and, and it felt like home. It really did. I remember during freshman orientation, I was walking back to um, the basketball offices and it had that home feeling. And I remember walking past the bell tower in the middle of campus. It reminded me of Michigan state and just the friendships that I made and the relationships I made that still continue to this day. It's one of the biggest reasons why, you know, I have such love and respect for grand Valley state and the support that they still give me to this day, even though I was only there for two years, it just goes to show you how, how, how incredible of a, of a place it really was. And, you know, basketball wise, it was a lot of fun too. Um, we were 36 and one my freshman year. We actually beat Michigan state in that exhibition game uh, to open up the 2007 season. And my, and then my freshman, uh, my sophomore year, I had a chance to start, but you know, there, there were just some things that went on with the coaching staff and me, whereas, you know, they were really sarcastic a lot. And I don't think they knew how to coach an individual like me um, because of some of the things that I struggle with from a language perspective, but 
you know, I, I, I just told myself, you know, even though it didn't work out for me, like I still have so much love and respect for Grand Valley State. And if my kids, you know, if my six-year-old and my three-year-old, are, if they ever become basketball studs one day and Grand Valley State is in like their top three and, you know, and they asked me, what do I think? I said, you know what, you go to, obviously, number one, you want to go to a place that you love, but you really consider Grant, you should, I, I tell people, any recruit doesn't matter what sport it is. If Grand Valley State's in your top final top two or top three, really look into them because they really are an incredible school and they have an incredible athletic program. What, um, so you transfer to, to Michigan State. Um, what was it like? What's, what's the experience like when now, like now you're hopping into big time college basketball. And I think your redshirt year, mm-hmm. right? Didn't you guys, you only, I mean, like you won like 31 games. Um, I'm trying to think you're, I, I think that was your redshirt year. Um, yep. or maybe it's 20, 28 year for your first year was Oh nine, 2010, or was it Oh eight? Oh nine. Yeah. So Oh nine, 10. So the, uh, we went okay. to and Indy that year. Um, but did you get to go? Oh, cause you're redshirt. No, I didn't get to travel with the team, but I was there. Um, you know, I was still in the stands, still participating in team meetings, everything like that. And, you know, I, I tell people, Doug, like the toughest part about that year was like, even though I was on the team, like I was on the team poster, the team media guy and everything. I really didn't feel like I really was because the only time people would see me was at the end of the bench wearing this, you know, um, wearing this black jumpsuit, warm up jumpsuit. That's people actually thought I was an assistant trainer because, you know, everybody else was just wearing, you know, jumpsuits, you know, warm up suits at the end of the bench. And so that was the tough part for me because the only thing I was doing was practicing. The only thing I was doing was just being a part of team meetings and stuff. But you know, what I loved about a lot of those guys on the team was they made me feel like part of the team no matter what. So a good example of this is when um, is when we we're in St. Louis for the Sweet 16. You know, I went down to St. Louis for the game, went there for practice, watch practice, watch film and and team meetings with the guys. And Draymond Green afterwards, you know, Draymond Dede was a senior, uh, sophomore at the time. Um, so everybody got like, you know, pizza and team meals after uh, we beat uh, I think it was Northern Iowa. And, you know, Draymond at the time was trying to, you know, start, start losing weight. And then he didn't want his pizza. And he, and he said to me here, AI, you take it. You know, I'm good. I'm trying to, trying to shed some weight right now. And he didn't need to do that, but he wanted me to be a part of the team in some fashion. And so then, I, then I left uh, St. Louis before we played the elite eight game in Tennessee uh, against Tennessee. And I texted Draymond. I said, Hey, so if we win today, so do me a favor and cut down a piece of the net for me, will you? He said, I got you. I'll make sure it gets done. So after we won, team comes back, bus pulls in the, for the final four celebration. Draymond gets off the bus. I give him a hug. He goes, hey, I got something for you. And he pulled out a long string of the net that he cut down for me. And because he, he wanted me to be a part of it, even though I wasn't there in person. And so for some of those guys to make sure that I was still a part of it, the atmosphere, you know, as a, as a member of the Michigan State Spartan program, I mean, it was still one of the greatest experiences I had. And, you know, for me to still be able to tell my kids that I was part of a Final Four team, and there's not a lot of people that, that can say that. And so, um, but the experience I had playing for, for Tom Ezzo and Michigan State was one of the greatest experiences of my life. You know, I got to play against guys who are in the NBA. I mean, and, and the one thing that I, I, I got from Coach Ezzo was, you know, the one thing he told me about, about me was he respected so much was I did all the dirty work in practice. You know, I was captain of the scout team. I had to go up against Draymond every day in practice. I had to take charges on him. I had, I had to go up against Derek Nix, which was not an easy task. I had to go up against Adrian Payne, which was not easy. And so for me to do that every single day, that was the one thing that he really respected, you know, about me the most. And it's funny because I kind of like to tell people, Doug, I, I, I don't want to make, I don't like making comparisons sometimes because it gets in the debates. Like we try to compare Michael Jordan to LeBron James, which, you know, two different eras of basketball, you try to c- compare the two, you just can't because it's two different eras, two different players. Um, but, you know, one of our former players called me the Rudy of Michigan State basketball one time. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? My story and Rudy Rudiger's story are almost the same. You know, same story, you know, both guys want to play for their dream schools. Both guys end up playing for their dream schools, just two completely different paths and two completely different endings. But just the experience I had and the guys that I got to be a part of on the team, the guys who I'm proud to call my brothers to this day, it's one of the, it's one of the great things that, you know, made my experience so great. And there's a reason why, 
you know, we are called the Spartan dog family is because we are family. And, you know, no matter where we are, no matter how far we go in life, no matter what we do in our careers, we're always still in touch. And so it's to this day, you know, it's still an honor to be a part of the Spartan family for life. Um, so where did you come up with the idea to write a book? So it actually started about seven years ago. Um, I had a lot of people, you know, school administrators, especially because I do a lot of um, motivational speaking in K through 12 schools, universities and conferences all over the country um, regarding bullying and autism. And I was doing a presentation at a high school or at a middle school, excuse me, in Macomb County, Michigan. And after I got done, I was talking to the administration and the principal and the principal said to me, hey, um, have you ever thought about writing a book? I was like, no, I was like, you know, my schedule is so busy right now. I'm on the road at most five days a week going to different towns and states. Like, I don't even know if I would have time to do it. And they said, well, you should really consider it because, you know, our students only get to hear maybe one fourth of your life story. I think it'd be incredible if they heard your whole life story. Just tell them even more stories about what you've been through when you grew up, you know, how, how parents with kids with autism can see things differently now other than seeing you on stage. And it could really take your motivational speaking career to a level you never thought it can go to. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll think about it. And so, um, so in the spring of 2018, I started talking to people and that's when it really started to really kind of get in my head more and more about, okay, maybe I should do this. I, I think it's time. And so, um, one of the free press, uh, free press writers in Detroit, um, Chris Solari, who covers Michigan state football and basketball, he's a beat writer for them. And Chris and I initially talked about doing the book together, but then Chris got the job as the head beat writer for the free at the time. And so Chris didn't have time to do it. So I was like, okay, well, I need to think of something. And so, so my middle school, my middle school resource room teacher, um, Susie Hall. So shout out to her. She introduced me to her husband's cousin. She said, you should talk to Rob, you know, Rob Keese, because, you know, he was a journalism grad from Michigan state. He's worked for a magazine. He's done magazine articles. Like, you should talk to him because he he knows a lot of people in, in the writing community. So I sat down with Rob and I talked about what I wanted to do. And he's like, well, I would love to write it with you. And so that's when our partnership started. So not even like a month after we talked, we sat down, we did about five interviews that were about two, three hours each. And, and the rest is history. We got done writing the book in the fall of 2018. We signed with uh, our agent, Joe Perry, of Perry, uh, Perry Literary Incorporated out of New York. And then in the summer last year, 2020, we signed with IU Press. And now here we are, September 7th, the release date for my book, Centered. And so I'm just super excited. But it was a lot of people, a lot of people get in my, ear, in my ear about it. But it also took me some time to think about, OK, should I do it? Should I not? But when I really talked to my mom and my dad about what I should do, just their encouragement and for them to go, you know what? You've talked about it all these years. It's time to do it. And so, but like I said, it was that support system and my support system really pushed me to do it. My wife was really interested in me doing it. Um, you know, what? I want my kids to be able to read that, the, uh, the book when they're old enough and look at everything their father went through and then get done reading it and go, you know what? My dad is not only the greatest dad in the world, but he's also the most inspirational guy that I know. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you, you find as you get older, that the things that you go through in life, when you share them with other people, they're like, oh, it's like you're talking about autism and, and, and child development and you sharing your story allows me to kind of share a little bit of what I have going on at, at my house, right? It's the same thing when you're trying to have kids. You're like, well, you know, we actually went through IVF, like went to therapy or we got a divorce. Oh, you're like, I've been divorced. We're like all of these things that, that happen, that happen, people have a tendency to talk about. But Right. Uh, if you were going to tell, because a lot of a lot of basketball people listen to this pod, a lot of dads, a lot of coaches listen to this pod. Um, if you were going to tell them, hey, how do you first in terms of parenting? Because your parents obviously did amazing a job. Your mom especially advocated for you, putting together that schedule, talking to your teachers. But if if you were going to say, hey, here's a couple of things that a parent can do to really help their child. And it doesn't even have to be autism, but somebody who, who is who, who has autism, what would you recommend? Well, the first thing I would say is to always keep your expectations high, no matter what, for your child, um, you know, autism or not. Because I think that's the one thing I give my parents so much credit for, Doug, is that 
the expectations, you know, stayed way up here. You know, if there were days where I struggled in the school, my teachers would call and say, oh, well, this happened with Anthony today. My parents' expectations were, okay, well, the expectations are staying up here. They're not changing. Well, this didn't, this didn't work out from his IEP plan, so we had to go into this, into this direction. Okay, the ex- that's fine. The expectations still stay above here. So no matter what happened, no matter how much I pushed my parents, like the expectations for me always stayed high. Because that's interesting. I- that's interesting because I think what parents do is they, they it, without trying to, they make an excuse for their kid. Like, well, my kid's right. autistic, right? Right, and, right. And the, the kids will play down to that level. It just went. Yeah. And, and, and this is where, like, I give my parents even more credit was they they've always told me to never pull the autism card because they didn't want me to use it as an excuse. Like I did that one time in college. And, you know, I remember calling my mom, you know, telling her about how, you know, I didn't do so good on a test one day because because another thing, Doug, as a student, like I was not a great test certain question I would easily get confused by because, you know, one word can mean another another thing. It could right. Mean, there's 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 nuance, right. especially in English is very, very different. Right. Right. And, and, and that's what I mean. When you're autistic, you you don't understand nuance and sometimes right. and sarcasm, things, things like that. And it's, right. it, it's hard. Now, did you get extra test time? Yes. So the accommodations I had from middle school all the way till I graduated from college was I had an extra time. I had extra time on my tests. I had a reader because, again, that that reader helped me understand, you know, phrases differently and wording better. Um, I took my test in a separate room because if you and I took a test right here and now live in person, I'd be more worried about what you're doing instead of focusing on the test at hand. Um, So just those accommodations really helped me, you know, take my like take my time and like not worry about what's going on around me and having that reader there really helped me out, too. But I remember I pulled the autism card on my mom one time. And she stopped me. She goes, just stop right there. I'm just going to tell you right now, your autism was not the reason why you failed this test. You know, it's either because you didn't study enough or you didn't, or you were just slacking, like, but don't ever pull the autism card. And so that was my parents. They never wanted to pull that card on their end or my end because they did not want to use it as an excuse. And, And I know, Doug, there may be parents or, you know, educators or basketball folks that listen to this and go, well, my son or daughter is not going to be like Anthony Ayani because they may be on the lower end of the spectrum. But, you know, my parents and myself, we've always encouraged parents like, yeah, yeah we and I understand that, Doug. Like, I know everybody's different. Like, I don't expect every person on the autism spectrum to be Anthony Ayani because there may be folks on the autism spectrum who do greater things in areas that I'll never be successful in. And that's, that's okay. That's what makes all of us unique, right? But I've also told those parents, like, Keep the expectations high, lift your kids high and push them up. But so that's what and that's what being a parent is all about is pushing our kids to places where we don't expect them to go. Because, you know, with my kids, Doug, I mean, my six year old who starts first grade in a week. And it's crazy to think I'm going to have a first grader already um, at six years old. He's shooting on a 10 foot rim with a men's ball already. And he's doing something. He's doing things I couldn't do now. I'm still going to push him as high as he can go because as a parent, you want to support your kids no matter what, no matter how far they go in life. So, but I've always encouraged those parents, like no matter where your kid is at in the spectrum, always continue to push them high because they're going to go far and they're going to go higher in life than you think they can originally go. And so that's one thing I've always learned from my parents. And that's always the advice I'm going to give to every single parent, whether they have a child with autism or not. Winning is an everyday mindset. And we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If if you are going to tell um, a coach how to discuss it with players, I think that's the... That's a yeah. that's a hard conversation, it right? is. which is, hey, Anthony's autistic. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about parenting nowadays is these discussions are had a lot more often in front of kids than when, when you were a child or when I was a child. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. My, my kids are like we have a discussion uh, the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago about like LGBT plus Q, you know, and my son was like, yeah, I have a friend who's gay. You're 12. Yeah. He's gay. You know, I'm not gay. He's gay. I'm using that as they know what they, they, they understand, at least on some level, autism, high functioning, lower functioning. Um, They know different things, but how to, in a team interaction, as you point out, sarcasm doesn't always translate um, a basketball coach. When you have a kid who is on the spectrum and you're trying to have other kids be sensitive, but also like you don't want to screw up their experience and and the, the locker room feel or you're in a van driving to Chicago for a tournament or to Detroit for a tournament or to Minneapolis for a tournament or to Iowa or to Vegas. How would you handle with kids? So obviously, like I've always told coaches, Doug, to make sure you continue to educate yourself about what autism is and getting to know your student athlete more and more and better and better every day because the more and more you educate yourself about autism and the more you learn about your student athlete, it's going to work out in the long run. But the other thing at the same time is I've also told coaches, it's completely up to the student athlete. If they have autism, if they want their teammates to know or not, whether they're on the spectrum, because some may understand it, some may not. So a good example, Doug, I didn't tell my teammates at Michigan state about it. Only, only two people knew it was uh, Austin Thornton. Um, Austin and I have known each other for 17 years. We played, on the same AAU team for two years. So we've known each other for a long time. And then Mike Keebler, um, cause Keebs and I went to high school together, but um, I don't think at the time Keebs really knew um, the autism piece as well as Austin did. Cause Austin was around me more, but those are the only two guys. 
But if there were times where, you know, Draymond was sarcastic with me or Delvon Rowe or Kalen Lucas or Raymond Morgan, whoever, and I would just like, you know, get sensitive about it, if you will, because I couldn't tell if they were actually joking or if they were being serious. Like Austin was always that guy to go, hey, AI, it's okay. Like, it's just a joke. You know, we're all, you know, they're, they're just playing around. But there were times like if we were at, you know, a team dinner at Champ's sport at, at Champ's restaurant. And I ordered the same thing and Draymond would get on me and joke with me about that. There were times I wanted to jump across that table and then had to text Draymond and say, hey, he's literally going to jump across his table right now. You need to chill out. But um, but it's funny how my teammates actually found out, though. So going into my second year in Michigan State, um, our so for those of you listening, we do something and I think a lot of colleges do this. We do something called a VO2 workout. So a lot of the freshmen and a lot of uh, incoming transfers, you know, they had to do the VO2 workout once in their careers. Um, so what a VO2 workout is, they test your endurance, they measure your blood pressure, your oxygen level, everything. And they hook you up to like these this treadmill machine, all these masks and everything. So I, I hated it because if you put me on a track, Doug, and you're going to say, hey, you need to be done in one lap in 52 seconds, go. I'm going to like wig out because it's like, okay, I better get going or otherwise I'm going to be in trouble from my coach if I'll make my time. And so, um, so I, so I got done with the VO2 workout the first year I transferred the next summer, Draymond came up to me and said to me, Hey, I talked to coach Izzo today. He said, you need to go do the VO2 workout after this. I was like, wait, are you serious? Like if, if coach Izzo said it, it's like, okay, then it, it has to be true. Right. So, but the entire workout, he kept going on and on about it. Hey, coaches says you got to do the VO2 workout. Don't forget. And I would start it and I would kind of wig out. I was wigging out and freaking out over it. Cause it's like, okay, I don't want to do this. I'm pretty sure we were supposed to do it once. And so when I found out from Austin and some of the guys that it was a joke, I got in Draymond's face about it afterwards. And he f- said to me, Hey, if you can't be on the team, if you can't take a joke, then don't be on the team. And, you know, he and I started shoving each other and then guys started shoving each other after that. And Mike Vorkapich, you know, Vork, our strength and conditioning coach, Vork's known me since I was 10. So he understands, um, he understands my weaknesses and what makes me click and what doesn't make me click. He pulled Draymond aside and said, hey, Draymond, do you want to know why Anthony cannot understand your jokes and sarcasm sometimes? It's because he's autistic. Like everything is black and white for him. He doesn't understand your jokes. He thinks you're picking on him. So everything is really black and white for him. So that was kind of like the cat was out of the bag after that. And I remember Vork looked at me and he was shocked because he didn't know if he was supposed to tell Draymond about it. Or right, right, right. And I, he said, are you okay if I tell him this? And I looked at Vork. I said, well, it's out now. So you might as well just go ahead and tell him. And so, so Derek Nix, you know, at the time, overheard Vork telling Draymond about me being on the autism spectrum. And Derek goes, well, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, if, if AI is artistic, you know, I'm artistic too. And Vork looked at at Derek and goes, what did you just say? Derek goes artistic. That's what you said. Right. And Vork was like, autism, autistic, buddy, not art with crayons, paintbrushes and art, like not that. And again, that's how very little my teammates knew about autism. Did you get everybody down? Did you guys have a meeting? Or was it like, hey, he's autistic. You guys do some reading and figure it out. So so Draymond came to practice the next day, the, the next uh, strength and conditioning uh, lifting day. And he pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, Anthony, why didn't you tell me any of this? And I flat out told him, I said, you know, Day-Day, I didn't know how you were going to take it. I thought you were just going to be like everybody else that I've known in my life who found out and then started treating me differently after that. Right. And he looked at me and said, well, kudos to you, because look how far you've come in your life, despite having this. And, you know, from here on out, like if you need if you feel like you don't understand something, just let just let me know. And so from that day forward, like it wasn't just Austin who I can lean on to. It was Day Day I can lean on to. It was Derek Nick. So it was all my teammates, because, you know, once they started, once they started to understand why I got so emotional and why I was going to wig out during, you know, sarcastic or joking moments or why I stepped back, they understood. And, and like I said, and I think that that was a testament to Tom Izzo, you know, and his family, in the family atmosphere was it doesn't matter what you go through in your life. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from or what you do. You are a part of this family and we're going to treat you like family because that's who we are. And so, 
you know, it was a blessing in disguise, I guess you could say, Doug, that 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 little incident, quote unquote, happened because of it, it changed our relationship forever. And everything that, you know, he and I do, you know, he's in the NBA. I, I'm motivational speaking now, but we're still talking, you know, from time to time because he always wants to make sure that I'm doing OK. And I always make sure that I stay on him about things. So but, you know, for my teammates to see what happened and find out why, you know, and for them to understand it, that that really went and really showed me how much they were willing to understand. And not just that, Doug, but like after I graduated, my teammates were still my teammates were still asking me questions about it. I had I had Dane Fife, who's now an assistant head assistant okay. at Indiana. After I graduated, he was asking me questions about it. And because because here's why he said, you know, if I recruit uh, if I recruit a high school player one day and I find out he has autism, I need to understand you know, some of the, some of the things that may make a player click or may not make them click. So what worked with you that worked for us or the, or the other way around. So the fact that I got our assistant coaches asking me questions, it shows me that number one, you know, they're getting ready for the future because there are going to be more athletes out there who will be on the autism spectrum. You know, I, I, Doug, I was the first known division one college basketball player in NCAA, NCAA history with autism. And after I graduated, I knew there was going to be more and there's going to be more. And there's I'm, been plenty more that haven't been diagnosed too. Yeah, well, exactly. Right? That's, Exa- that's yeah. Not exactly. Like there's, there's been, there's been, there's been other kids. He was a quiet kid. He didn't understand sarcasm. Right. He right. Struggled in school. He couldn't understand things. He struggled with processing. Like, I mean, he's autistic, but he was never evaluated. So right. Right. it was just different. He didn't have parents that advocated for him and understanding and, and a plan put in place. The book is called centered. It, it drops when? September 7th. Can't imagine how excited you are. It's, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Like, it's, like, it's like a life's work, but you still have a whole life to live. <laughs> exactly, man. But I appreciate you sharing with me your story. I can't wait to read the book. It's fascinating. It's something I think you'll be overwhelmed by the response and support and how important it is for parents, for coaches, and society, what you're able to provide. So I really, really thank you. No, thank you, Doug. It's been an honor, man, and I can't thank you enough. It's been a privilege. All right, brother. Take care of those kiddos. Thank you. I will. All right, let's let's close up shop with a little talk about the Lakers. The Lakers have six of the 11 oldest players in the NBA. That's a crazy statistic. They also have, I think, eight players from the 2012 All-Star game. That's crazy. Uh, my, My issue with the Lakers is just like anybody else is, man, you got a lot of older pieces and older pieces break down. That's really what it comes down to. On paper, I think they got better. I think you can see the plan, you know the plan, you know, you got Dwight Howard and Rondo and Trevor Ariza, guys that are professionals. They've been through all of the wars. They've all won a championship, all of that stuff. But can you really count on them? Remember, not right now. Can you count on them nine months or 10 months from now? When you're playing in the play after playing in a regular season, Russell Westbrook has been a bad playoff player, you know, since they lost to the Warriors. Because when you get to the playoffs, he can't shoot. Um, Rondo was so bad last year for the Clippers, they had to pull him from playing in the playoffs because he was killing the team. Dwight Howard had kind of a nothing year. Granted, he'll be a backup. And I'm, I just. It's reasonable to be concerned, one, with their age, and two, with where these guys actually are and where their ego tells them they should be. But that's not my problem. That's the coaching staff. That's that's, that's Frank's problem, right? Not not my problem. Still going to be super interesting in the association this year. All right, thanks so much for listening. Remember, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, iHeartRadio app, foxsportrader.com, or, of course, you can download as a podcast, the same place you download this as a podcast. I'm Doug Gottlieb and this is All Ball. Winning is an everyday mindset and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? 
Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.